If we want to list every way Spreaker can help podcast publishers, well, we need a podcast of our own. Whether you're in charge of long-running series with extensive backlogs or countless limited series, you can organize and monetize your entire catalog with Spreaker. With Spreaker's customizable publisher plan, you can add collaborators, analyze extensive listener analytics, and even share exclusive content through custom RSS feeds. And that's just for starters. Head to Spreaker.com to learn more. That's S-P-R-E-A-K-E-R.com. Welcome to The Porch. Here on Firefall Talk Radio, I'm Richard Grund. This is where we get back to basics, examining the Word of God, especially the Book of Acts Church, following their example, trying to restore that world-shaking influence that they had. And we do that by digging deeper into Scripture. We don't water it down. We don't filter it. And I believe that we have been restoring the priesthood of the believer for those of you that are listening and participating And I believe that in this time that the church age is in effect and the fire is falling, we are getting ready for the final move of God that we've been praying for and talking about for years. The porch was created as an outreach of Solomon's Porch, Inc. on solomonsporch.org is that page. If you have any questions, you can use that site and the contact button or you can go to firefalltalkradio.com and contact us that way. There are ways to support us there. We appreciate each and every one of you that do support us. If you feel so led, if the Spirit leads you, we would appreciate you keeping us going and helping us do the things that we're doing. We believe in the concept of sowing and reaping, and we just hope that you will give as the Lord leads and as the Word inspires. Welcome to all our listeners. We appreciate each and every one of you. We are heard exclusively Live on Spreaker.com. We are also archived there. We also broadcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. We are no longer on Blog Talk. I understand they have begun to, uh, since we are no longer paying for their services, delete some of the older shows, and I'm going to help them along and just delete the account. So if there's anything of our old shows from years back, you'd like to get it, you better do it soon, because by the weekend it'll be all gone. Well, we always start out with praise reports and prayer requests, but I want to talk about something real quick in regards to all that. We had started to resurrect Overwatch. We've done a couple of really good shows. My desire was to do that. People were asking for it, and day before yesterday... The Lord basically said, shut everything down except for the Bible study and spend the rest of your time in prayer. So hopefully in January, Overwatch will be back. I will wait to see what the Lord says about that. He's the captain of the host, and I am under orders. So um, thank you for your patience. Thank you for understanding. Praise reports and prayer requests. Well, of course, I have to start with the fact that I praise the Lord for my salvation. In doing so, he gave me back 
my wife and my family, my sons and my home. And out of that, I now have two daughter-in-laws and we have a grandson and we have furry kids and we have all these wonderful things that the Lord has given us in his grace and his loving mercy. I praise him for that. I praise him for the protection that he offers us each and every day. I praise him for the ministry that he allows me to work for him, for the dreams and the visions and the things that he shares through his word and through his Holy Spirit. I praise him that his healing virtues are still available to each and every one of us. And I just praise him to praise him. During this time of uh, prayer, um, I was spending a lot of time in praise, a lot of time uh, just with him. I'll share a little bit more about that as we get into the Bible study, because tonight is going to be a combination Bible study and word from the Lord. But I'm a new creation, so let's praise him that you're a new creation, too, and we're living in these prophetic times. Praise him for America with all of its problems. I believe it's still the greatest country in the world. I think Israel would come second, in my opinion, but that's just my bias, and um, I'm glad that we're here and we're able to do this. I praise him for the signs that he's given us in his word and prophecy, eschatology, uh, in the world, that he's getting ready to return. I don't know if you believe that, but I do. I believe he's getting ready to come back. So I'm ready, and um, I hope you are too. And I praise him for his favor and his revelation. I praise him that I can pray. You know, in certain countries, if you get caught praying, they put you in jail. And if that's not enough, they will murder you. Some countries, you can't pray in public. You can't quote scripture. You can't share the gospel. Thankfully, we can still do that. I pray for the Middle East, Israel, the peace of Jerusalem, which means I pray for the return of the Prince of Peace. I pray for my Jewish brothers and sisters to be protected from the persecution and everything that's going on over there right now. I pray that their government would get its act together. But I believe the Lord has allowed what's going on in Israel for a sign and to get their attention. I pray for the fatherless and the widows, the innocents, the victims of injustice. I am outraged by injustice, but you know what? They had injustice in Yeshua's time. There's been injustice since the beginning of time. It doesn't mean I won't stop praying about it. I pray for our brothers and sisters that are being slaughtered and persecuted for their faith. I pray that they would be strong. I pray that the Lord would protect them. And if it's if they are going to be martyred, I pray that he would release them without trauma, drama, or pain. I pray, pray about the slaughter of the innocents. I pray against it. I pray that it would stop in and out of the womb. We are a barbaric society. We have slid so far off the rails, and in my opinion, we have long been in the onset of the days of Noah, and we've become more perverse and debauched and evil day by day, which is why we have to shine our light. And this anti-Semitism, the the religious attacks, everything that's going on in my pet peeve of 2019, the sex trafficking, which is being exposed more and more and how pervasive, it's like a virus that has infected our society, what they do to young children and, and men and women and young girls. And the, it, I get it. The fallen introduced it to society, but I had hoped that by this time we'd be a more civilized society, but it doesn't seem to be so. I pray that each and every one of us would 
have divine wholeness, health, and healing, that we would get back to our divine design. There's no time to be sick. There's no time to be down. We need to be healed. So right now, in the name of Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, the Great Physician, whatever you're dealing with, mental, emotional, physical, spiritual, be healed. I pray for the divine protection that we need and the inspiration necessary to do the job. I pray that the remnant would wake up, rise up, answer the call to action. If you're a part of the remnant and you know it, just say amen, but also share these Bible studies, share these things that we post on Firefall Talk Radio. Let's awaken others who might be called to the remnant and they don't know it. They've been called to action and they don't understand what the calling is. I know brothers and sisters out there that have been blessed, blessed tremendously, and they either hoard the blessing or they sow it into bad ground. We are a machine, Firefall Talk Radio, Supernatural Response Team, The Porch, all of these things, uh, Firefall Media Group, Firefall Productions, all the things that God has created to get out his word in all the different aspects. We are a machine and we need the fuel. Pray with us to be fueled up to be highly mobile, to get out there and do what we need to do, get this documentary done, get it into the theaters, get it into the film festival, get it into uh, meeting rooms and theaters where the gospel can be spread and the darkness can be driven away by the light of the Lord. I pray that each and every one of us would prosper in accordance with his word and open the conduits of his blessings, dreams, visions, and everything that goes with it. Continue to pray for my spiritual father and mentor, Pastor Shelley. He's getting better. We spoke the other day for a long time and prayed together, but he still needs, he needs to be ready. He's going to be a teacher of teachers. He's going to be able to mentor the leaders that we gather up to train. Uh, We continue to pray for divine favor and the positive conclusion to an ongoing legal matter and pray for all of our lost family members to find their salvation and find their eternity with their heavenly father. Woody in Central Florida sent out a prayer request. He did not want to be late. He sent it yesterday. He said uh, his prayer request for the porch is for his father. His father's been addicted to alcohol for 20 years. He's not an abusive man, but he has a hot temper at times. He finally agreed to go to a detox center this week and then to rehab after detox. His prayer is that God will keep him throughout the detox, helping his body not go into massive shock from the uh, the withdrawals and strengthening his mind to overcome the huge obstacle that's in front of him. He's praying for healing in his body during the rehab process, and most importantly, that his father would get a personal revelation as to who Jesus really is so he can focus on life after alcohol for his salvations and other things that the Lord can use him for. We're going to stop and pray right now for Woody's father. Father, we come to you on behalf of Woody. We come on behalf of his father. We pray that you would encourage him to stay into detox and go into rehab. We pray that you would overshadow him with your Holy Spirit, invade his mind, his thoughts, and his dreams. Visit him personally if you have to, Lord. Deliver him. Set him free. Open up his heart and his mind to the need of a Savior, that he would become born again, that he would become spirit-filled, and that you'd be able to use him as a witness. Encourage him, Lord. Encourage his family. We just touch and agree in Yeshua's name. The only other one I have is for Kim in Fort Mitchell. She says she's doing good. 
So the Lord changed my perspective on some things, and I'm very grateful for that. He put my mind back on how important it is to be aware of what we think and that we are fearfully and wonderfully made in his image. I want to thank my God for my salvation and my sobriety. I gave I got saved about two years before I got sober and truly believed that if that had not been the case, I would not have been able to maintain my sobriety. I'm forever grateful for that. I praise him for my kids and my family. Praise him for the porch community, me and friend Stacy. Praise him for a dog, Bruno, who needs our prayers. Bruno got sick over Thanksgiving weekend. Not sure why he may have gotten into some things he shouldn't have. He was throwing up. She reached out to me. We prayed, and he seemed to get better, but now he's not eating his food. He does drink water, but he refuses to eat. So please pray for God to heal whatever is wrong with him. Um, veterinary bills are not an option for her right now. If somebody out there would like to help her with getting him to a vet just to get it checked out, um, please reach out to me and let me know. She said, I'm praying for healing over Rhoda and Pastor Shelley, praying for my friend Stacy and her family. said, Father, heal grieving hearts and souls out there. May they seek you in their hardest hours. Give them rest and comfort, Lord. Father, I'm praying for a financial breakthrough. Please protect us, provide for us, and bless us in Jesus' name. Well, Lord, you know these needs. You knew them before I mentioned them. And each and every one of the people that are offering their needs to him right now. We just touch and agree as a family, as a community, as the porch community. Believing for the blessings to come. To have a storehouse that people can gain from food, clothing, finances. To have the ability to travel, to get about, to minister to people, to go pray for people and pray with people. So we thank you, Lord. We speak in advance. We speak to things not as they are, but as they should be in accordance with your word. But most of all, we thank you. Thank you for our salvation. Thank you for the word. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you for the blood of Yeshua, which washed us clean. He shed each drop of blood for us, died on that cross, got laid in a borrowed grave, Three days later, came out of that grave alive. King of kings, Lord of lords, risen Savior. We thank you for that, Lord. We thank you for what you did for us. You loved us when we were unlovable. We thank you for what you're doing for us now. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for walking with us, encouraging us, delivering us, teaching us. We need to hear you. We need eyes to see and ears to hear. Pray for peace, peace of mind, peace of heart, a supernatural peace that makes no one understand, doesn't understand, has no understanding, doesn't make sense, but we have it. For those that are going through dramatic, traumatic things, we have the peace that surpasses all understanding. Right now, Lord, we thank you. We thank you for this word tonight. We thank you for what you're about to say and what you're about to do. Bless the technology. Touch each and every person. I just pray this in Yeshua's name. Amen. Lessons are proprietary information, except where noted the information comes from outside sources. The combination of that information, the matter presented, is exclusive, cannot be repeated or used without permission. The date of this broadcast serves as the registered date of the following information.
Danger, Will Robinson. Danger. Danger. Danger, Will Robinson. Danger. Danger. Of course, that's Robbie the Robot from Lost in Space. But wouldn't it be really cool? Wouldn't it be nice if you had your own personal robot that warned you every time that you were in danger, things that you could not see, but it could sense and tell you that, kind of like the Holy Spirit does for us. But this, you could see it, the swirling dervish of the body, the bright blinking lights, the waving of the arms to get your attention, something you couldn't miss. But that's really not how it works, though, but it would be good. So if you had that, if, if you suddenly heard this, would it get your attention? Church danger, danger. Danger, church danger, danger. Would, would that get your attention? Well, you're probably wondering, first of all, Richard, what are you doing? This is a Bible study. Well, this is a Bible study, and we're going to talk the Word, but this is a warning as much as it is anything else. Because there is a threat. A threat that's been around, but I see it worse now than I've ever seen before. You know what that threat is? That threat is taking an extreme, erroneous position on a theological issue during a spiritual and supernatural crisis like the one we're in right now. And what I'm talking about is error. Theological, biblical, spiritual error. So let's start out where the Lord talks about the future in Matthew 24. Yeshua is on the Mount of Olives. His disciples come to him privately, and they say, Tell us when all these things will happen. What will be the sign, the signal of your return in the end of the world? And Yeshua tells them, Don't let anyone mislead you. For many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah. They will deceive many, and you'll hear of wars and Threats, rumors of wars. But don't panic. Don't be afraid. All these things must take place. But the end is not yet. It won't follow immediately. Because nation will rise up and go to war against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There's going to be famines and earthquakes in various places in many parts of the world. Kind of like we're seeing right now. But all of this is only the first of the birth pangs. More will come. And then you'll be arrested, persecuted, and killed. You'll be hated all over the world because you are my followers. And many will turn away from me and betray and hate each other. Many false prophets will appear. They'll arise and they'll deceive many people. Sin will be rampant everywhere. And the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And the good news, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached throughout the world so that all the nations will hear it. And then the end will come. The day is coming when you'll see what Daniel the prophet spoke about, the sacrilegious objects causing the desecration of the holy place. Those in Judea will flee to the hills and People on their roof decks must not go down into the house to pack. They just must flee. A person out in the field can't even return to get a coat. How horrible, how terrible it would be for pregnant women and for nursing mothers in those days. Pray that your flight will not be in the winter or on the Sabbath, for there will be greater anguish than at any time since the world began. It will never be so great again. In fact, unless... 
Those days, unless the time of calamity is shortened, not a single person will survive. But it will be shortened for the sake of God's chosen ones. In case you haven't noticed, the signs of the times declared to us by the Lord in Matthew 24, Mark 13, Luke 21, they're screaming for our attention. In verses 3, four, three through 14, part 1 of this prophecy applies to, I believe, the church and the Jewish world. Part 2, I believe, is exclusively for the Jews and the Gentile world. I, I don't believe the church experiences verses 15 through 22. But what he's saying here is that even the days of Noah won't be as bad as what the world is about to experience. It said there's never been this kind of anguish since the world began. We know that during the days of Noah, it was pretty bad. Well, what's coming is going to be even worse. I believe that we're in the onset of the days of Noah. I believe that we've been there for a little while and it has gotten progressively worse. But when you look at the news and you see what you see about, uh, and hopefully I don't get shut down and kicked off the air off of, over this one, when you, when you see the debauchery and the depravity of people changing their sexes or forcing it upon children or changing the fact that there are only two genders, male and female, and now there's 11 or however many. Or you can be genderless. You can be whatever you want to be. He created the male and female, but see, the enemy has so infiltrated politics and media and everything that's going on out there that we watch this and we look at it, and for the most part, we're silent because if you speak up, the system has been rigged against you. But We've got to pay attention because during times of crisis and stress, people will fall into traps. They'll make mistakes. And during a time of spiritual and supernatural warfare, the most dangerous thing that you can do is take the wrong position on important matters. So we're going to go through a couple of those today. We make this may go on for the rest of the month because this is a word to the church as we go into 2020. Everybody's talking about blessings and favor and clear vision, and I get all that. But we seem to forget that whatever God is doing, the enemy is doing the exact opposite, the counterfeit, the parallel at the same time. And we can't be ignoring that. We can't be so blinded by what we want, what we see, that we get this tunnel vision, but we don't open up our scope to see everything that's going on, to see the danger that we're in, the danger our children are in, the danger this society is in, the danger this country is in. So one extreme erroneous position is there's no demonic threat and I have nothing to worry about. Well, if you, if you or you know somebody that has that position, I doubt you do, otherwise you wouldn't be listening to me, Ask them a question for me. Say, this is from the guy that I listened to on the porch. His name's Richard Grun. He wants to ask you to let him know how that works out for you. Because it is a very naive spiritual position. And I've heard it. I've talked about it. I still hear it. Brother, I don't, I don't know why you do what you do. I, I don't need to do that. You know, there, there's really no demonic threat. They've all been defeated. 
No, that's not what the Word says. That's not what Peter, John, James, Paul, and even Jude teach. If we take a theological position that there is no demonic threat anymore and that there is no need for warfare, we ignore most of the writings of the apostles. But I'm just going to pick a couple because I don't want to belabor this particular point. First Peter 5, verses 8 through 10, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, Hasatan himself, and his kingdom, and his demons, and the fallen age, walk about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him steadfast in the, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. But may the God of all grace who called us to his eternal glory by Messiah Yeshua, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. I don't know, that sounds like a little bit of warfare to me. But, for the sake of clarity, let's bring a contemporary view using the New Living Translation. Stay away, stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. And as I've mentioned many times, that word devour isn't just to eat. It's to tear apart, to lock their teeth into, and to shred the meat. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Remember that your Christian brothers and sisters all over the world are going through the same kind of suffering you are. In his kindness, God called you to share his eternal glory by the means of Messiah, Yeshua. So after you have suffered a little while, let me say that again. After you have suffered a little while, he will restore, support, and strengthen you, and he will place you on a firm foundation. I think this one warning by the Apostle Peter alone defies that argument. He shows that we are subjected to an ongoing threat from the fallen leader of the rebellion angelic host, whom we call the adversary, the devil, which includes the entire kingdom of darkness. So what is he saying? He's saying, stay alert. There's a prowling demonic enemy. There's a threat of being devoured, torn apart. Stand and be strong. Action with intention. Oh, and other believers are suffering too. This suffering will endure for a period of time. Restoration and rescue will come. Is there any indication there that there no longer remains or there is no indicator of a threat that's still in effect? And that was written between 63 and 64 AD, 30 years after the death and resurrection of the Lord. So, Unless I miss something, unless some other supernatural effect, event, something took place to remove the fallen and their demons from the earth, since that warning, then the threat must still be in effect. I don't know. Let's see what Paul says. Ephesians six ten through 13. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God 
that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. So let's see, the Apostle Paul, what's he saying? He's calling for us to be strong, to put on the whole armor of God, to stand against the schemes of the devil, that's what wiles are, and that we wrestle in violent, close quarters combat with a supernatural, ethereal, demonic enemy in the heavenly and celestial places. That we are to take up the armor of God in an active, ongoing military action to be able to withstand, which takes effort and strength, and to stand, dig our heels in. The Amplified takes it a little more and does what it says. It amplifies it. But I want you to get this. I know we've talked about it before, but you need to hear this now. And if you know somebody that needs to hear this, share it with them. Sit down with them. Listen to it with them. Open your Bibles. Explain it to them if they don't get it. In conclusion, Paul says, be strong in the Lord. Be empowered through your union with him. Draw your strength from him that strength which his boundless might, his dunamis, provides. We know that's through the Holy Spirit. Put on the whole armor, God's whole armor, the armor of a heavy-armed soldier which God himself supplies, that you may be able successfully to stand against all the strategies and deceits of the devil. For we are not wrestling with flesh and blood, contending only with physical opponents, but against despotisms, against the powers, against the master spirits who are the world rulers of this present age, against the spirit forces of wickedness in the heavenly supernatural sphere. Therefore, put on God's complete armor, that you may be able to resist and stand your ground on the evil day of danger, and having done all, the crisis demands that you stand firmly in your place." He also says in 2 Corinthians 10, 4-6, through 6, The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, meaning fleshly, but mighty in, mighty in God, which makes them spiritual and supernatural, for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Messiah being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. So just from these three sections of the Bible, we see the ongoing nature of a supernatural war against a very real and very determined enemy. Well, let's look at another extreme position. That the severity of the demonic attack is an indicator of how that I'm doing something right, or that I'm important, and that the enemy is afraid of me. There was a time I would have been guilty of this misconception. I used to glory in the severity of the warfare, glory in the, in the demonic attack that it was proof that I was a threat to the enemy and doing something right. For some, it's a badge of honor. Well, Let's go back to 1 Peter, chapter 5. Remember where he says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, 
walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Look at what verse what verse 9 says. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. means you're not the only one experiencing it. Just because you're under attack doesn't make you special. The devil, the fallen angels, their demonic offspring, they are predators. Predators prey on things to victimize them, to ensure or exploit their weaknesses for their own gain. They feed on their prey. They feed on the old, the young, the strong, the weak. They aren't picky, and let's get real, they are not afraid. Not one bit. Peter is referring to a danger from an enemy that is more cruel, heartless, and restless than the worst that humanity has. The Matthew Henry commentary explains it this way, that he, and of course the scriptures towards the devil, and you have to understand that Satan was the strong man, the prince that the Jewish world dealt with. He's not the only prince out there. He is the pinnacle of them, but he's not the only one. But he's a roaring lion. He's hungry. He's fierce. He's strong and he's cruel. He's greedy. He's pursuing souls. That's his business. It's what he does. And he's looking for someone to devour. That's his whole design is to devour and to destroy And he doesn't get tired. He's restless. He's malicious. He's always at it night and day. There is no time in the spirit realm. They don't get tired. They don't go to sleep. And he goes about, not carelessly, but very studiously and very maliciously and very mechanically to ensnare people to trick people, seduce people, and to guarantee their eternal ruin. Does he believe he's going to lose? I don't think he does. I believe he's so deluded that he doesn't believe he's going to lose. But I think there's a part of him that just in case he wants to take as many with him as possible. He doesn't want to be alone in the lake of fire, and he won't be. All the fallen angels and all their demonic offspring will be there too, but so will be everyone who doesn't choose Yeshua as their Lord and Savior. So what is the answer to a threat like that? Well, you have to be vigilant. You can't be careless. You must be conscious of the threat. I see most people who come under attack and reach out to me for help have allowed an opening in their defenses. You know, I explained this to somebody the other day. Demons are like rats. They will find an opening to get through. And if you don't know how rats work, they can literally squeeze their body down to squeeze through the smallest space. Well, the smallest breach in your defenses will be opening just large enough for them to squeeze through. We need to understand we live in a fallen world and there's a spiritual enemy out there. We need to be diligent. We need to be watchful. We don't need to be paranoid, but we need to understand. Resistance means 
through prayer, through praise, through getting in the Word, through doing warfare for ourselves, home, families, pets, possessions, that brothers and sisters all around the world are going through the same thing. That the enemy's attack is not personal. They're attacking the Lord. They're really not attacking you. Now, if like myself and my teammates in SRT, if if you're constantly messing up their business and if you're getting in their way and if you're plundering their goods or destroying their fortresses, yeah, that annoys them and and they, they, they have a little extra desire to destroy you, but it doesn't make you any more special than anybody else. All of our brothers and sisters are going through some kind of attack. The minute your name got written in the Lamb's Book of Life, you put a target on you. They're in the warfare, too. We need to understand that. We need to understand that other people are being afflicted. We need to pray for them. But that doesn't mean we allow ourselves to be victimized. We don't allow the enemy to hit us. We don't allow the enemy to do these things just because... It's warfare, no. But we need to understand that the rules of engagement and the warfare, they are set. We are, we are a kingdom of God citizens. We, this is not our home. We're not of this world. Our citizenship is elsewhere. Basically, we have been assigned to this world. We do have diplomatic immunity as long as we stay within the rules of his kingdom. The minute we step out those side of those rules, outside the walls of his kingdom, the minute we slip into the world and think that we can be a part of the world, we lose that immunity. And that's what the enemy does, tries to trick us into leaving the walls of the kingdom. And that happens through behavior, through sinful choices, to being enticed by the enemy, and that way he can get access to you. So stay within the walls of the kingdom. Stay on the right side of the Lord. Stop doing the things you know you shouldn't do. If you know what's right and you choose not to do what's right, it's called sin. Sin gives the enemy access to you. You're not fighting for a victory. The victory was won on Calvary. What you are doing is you are called to enforce and maintain that victory against an army, a terrorist army that refuses to submit or surrender. That's all it is. And until he comes back, until he restores complete authority in the natural realm as well as he has in the spiritual realm, then we are a spiritual occupying force. We are his army against the fallen and their army. That's pretty basic. So if the severity of the demonic attack you're experiencing is extreme and it's dramatic, don't. Don't bask in it. Don't wear it as a trophy or a patch on your arm. Hey, you know, look at this. Look at this. The enemy enemy showed up last night. You know what he did? You know what? I, I'll sleep through attacks. I don't care. I think that frustrates them more that I don't even acknowledge them. But the fact is, if they do show up, if they do want to engage, if they're that foolish, then I'm willing. But I don't go looking for it unless the Lord sends us out there. The enemy is not more powerful than the Lord. The same spirit inside of you is the spirit that raised Yeshua from the grave. The same spirit that he used to speak everything into existence, including Satan and the fallen angels. I'm not afraid, but I'm also not foolish. 
we must expect that there's going to be resistance, even attacks from time to time. We shouldn't be surprised by it. And no matter what happens, God gets the glory. Extreme position number three. There is warfare, but it's not my problem. The Lord does all my fighting for me. This is a very popular one right now, especially in the charismatic and evangelical church. I've said it before and I'll say it again. All the scriptures that refer to the Lord fighting for you are in the Old Testament. They're all from before the cross, before the upper room, before the church became his agents of change, an army, and warfare on the earth. Not one New Testament reference to warfare indicates that we are to do nothing or that the enemy is not a threat to us. In fact, the infilling of the Holy Spirit and the victory of Calvary has delegated his power and his authority to us. Every scripture about stand still, do nothing, God will fight for you. First of all, I believe when you read them within context, they were a very specific promise in a specific event. Be that as it may, even if you pull the scripture out of context, it has no New Testament correlation. 1 John 4, 4, You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Romans 8.11, but the spirit of him who raised Yeshua from the dead dwells in you. He who raised Messiah from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. I already covered that one. In Romans 8.15, you did not receive the spirit of adoption again to fear, but received the spirit of adoption by the spirit of bondage again to fear, but the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. You are his children. You are born again. His spirit, the same spirit I said to you that even used to create the entire universe, is in you. When he gave us that after the upper room, when he instilled all that authority and said, go, that was a statement that everything had changed. Extreme position number four, and I think it's the last one I'm going to cover, is, okay, I get it, Richard. There are demons everywhere and all the time. I'm, a, I'm, I'm afraid I'm overwhelmed. Whoop, that shadow, shadow move, that must be a demon. Oh, I got a sniffle, that's a demon. Well, well, I believe that there are certain times that that is true, and I believe that sickness is of the enemy, but sometimes sniffles are from you with the fact that you went outside and you weren't dressed properly. Or your immune system has been weakened by the poor diet you keep. As I explained in some posts recently, the Lord has revealed why I've suffered from fatigue, nonstop debilitating fatigue, for the last almost two years. Part of it was an end result of warfare, but you know what the other part was? Some natural hereditary things that had gotten to the point that my body could no longer function properly. He showed me how to change my diet, change my lifestyle, and the minute I did, guess what? The fatigue went away. 
back in the gym, training like I haven't trained in a very long time, getting prepared for what's coming, and excited over the fact that whether it's natural or supernatural, he has the answers and he'll give them to us. We can't blame everything on the devil. I'm sure he would love to be responsible for everything he's accused of, but the fact is, he's not. We shouldn't be having fear. We shouldn't be living in that I'm overwhelmed, they're everywhere mindset. Mark four thirty nine through 40, he arose and rebuked the wind and the sea, said, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. But he said to them, Why are you so fearful and how is it that you have no faith? So my question If you're one of those people that gets attacked and you freak out and it's the end of the world and you call me or you reach out or whatever, why why are you so fearful? How come you have no faith? He, He said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? That's Hebrews 13, 5 and 6. His abiding presence in you through the Holy Spirit changed the concept of warfare. It triggered a supernatural paradigm shift. We've talked about this before a couple of years ago. A a paradigm is a basic assumption. It's a framework from which assumptions or ways of thinking or methodology are accepted by a specific community. We're talking supernaturally and spiritually. The paradigm shift has changed how we do things. It has changed the way we think, or it should have. From from Adam and Eve to thousands of years later, the spiritual religious world saw saw it one way. But then Jesus of Nazareth, Yeshua, comes along And he knocks it on its butt. That's what the Gospels are about. That's why the Pharisees and the Sadducees and everybody in leadership was upset with him. He changed the paradigm of the spiritual world. And then he dies and he he ascends into heaven after he rises from the dead. And so for 10 days in the upper room, 120 people are waiting for the promise of the Father. And another shift took place because the day of Pentecost fully came and they were all one accord, all 120. They're all in that room they're in John Mark's father's banquet hall above above the uh, the tavern that they had. And they're sitting and they're praying and, and all of a sudden there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. You remember it shook the building. It it got everybody's attention. That was a paradigm shift in the universe. I believe one happened when he died on the cross. I believe another happened when he raised from the grave. But here's another one. These ripple effects are going through the universe. The angels and the demons and the spirits, they're all feeling it. The upper room triggered a new supernatural paradigm that allowed Peter, who had been afraid and would run, to walk out in the midst of the people, tens of thousands, maybe millions, some estimate. And he raises his voice. He says, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, this let us be known to you and heed my words. He's saying, pay attention. You in the back, listen. 
For these are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. It's only 9 a.m. But this is what was spoken of by the prophet Joel. It shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. On my men servants and my maid servants, I'll pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. Here's a part two. Show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever comes on, calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Part one is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Part two is the day of the Lord. A paradigm shift in the fundamental nature of how we view our reality. That's basically what he's telling the Jews. And that hasn't changed. You know, before a paradigm shift, you you assume reality is one thing, but then the shift happens and the reality is completely something else. And it's triggered by an event. In this case, it was the cross in the upper room. And when the shift happens, I believe we're in the middle of another one. When the shift happens, it can be painful. It can be exper- it, it, it could be an awful, uncomfortable experience. We don't understand. We don't understand what's happening to us. We don't un- understand what's going on around us. We may even start to question ourselves in the understanding of these events. And I mentioned the things on the news. I'm in the weeks ahead. I'm probably going to get a little more specific. I'm really going to try and see if I can get the porch kicked off the air because I'm going to name things. I'm going to talk about it. What's going on in the news? What's going on in the world? The pedophilia amongst the global elite and all the the, the things that are happening. You just go, I, I never thought I'd see this. Well, we're seeing it. A shift has happened. And part of that shift isn't just us. It's the enemy. He's come out in the open. Well, let's face it. The enemy's come out of the closet. Literally. For decades now. But now he's coming out of the graves. Now he's coming out of the dungeon. Now he's coming out of the, the, the rooms with the chains and the whips. And he's coming out of the darkness. He's coming out of all. They don't care if you see and they don't care if you know. They promote it. They put it in your TV shows and in your movies. The, the other thing that makes this painful is it can go on for a while. Months, maybe years. It doesn't just happen overnight, not over in a couple of days. We can go, boy, we we got through that. No, we're in the middle of it. Actually shifted in 2007. And then shifted again recently. And it, our perception of reality, our perception of our religious and spiritual and theological reality gets shaken. What we thought we believed isn't what we should have believed. What we were taught may not have been true, not because they didn't want it to teach her, because, but they didn't understand. And that can upset you. And the other thing about this paradigm shift is that after you've noticed something is wrong, other people will know something is wrong, but they won't have your revelation. They won't listen to the kind of teachings you listen to. And they won't know how to respond. And then when they see you understand, they they won't know what to do. Some will be smart enough and calm enough to come ask and say, hey, how do you, what do you know about this? problem is most people don't know what they don't know. 
Peter told them, got done. They were cut to the heart. Men and brethren, what shall we do? Peter didn't pull any punches. He just simply said, repent. Let every one of you be baptized in the name of Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah, for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. In many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. And those who gladly received his word were baptized. And on that day, 3,000 souls were added to them, and they became a part of the doctrine and the fellowship and broke bread with them. 3,000 people. Now, you may go, wow, out of tens of thousands, hundred thousand, a million people, that's really not a lot. I don't know, 3,000 people is a pretty good start to a brand new ministry, brand new church, 3,000 people, because that 120 became 3,120, and the shift began, and then 5,000, and those people went and told their families, and you watch how, like, a cell explodes, that's what it did. The shift began, and the world has never been the same. But see, before I run out of time here, i got to get you to see something else. That there was another shift taking place. The kingdom of darkness runs a mirror parallel kingdom. That means whatever it does is the opposite of the kingdom of God. It's inverted It's in, in its intention and its motivation. Where God's holy... Darkness is unholy. So the book of Acts paradigm shift began with the fire of the upper room. Well, it got greeted by a fire in 64 AD, the great fire of Rome. That's where in July of 64 AD, the Roman chariot stadium, Circus Maximus, on the night of July 19th, burned for six days until it had finally burned up two-thirds of Rome and destroyed it. Well, Emperor Nero, who some believe set the fire on purpose, blamed it on the Christians and the persecution and the bloodletting and the destruction of the Christians was created by that fire. Isn't that amazing? He counterfeited what God did for his purposes, probably to mock him. I don't know. That's how he works. But the fact is, it's what happened. And the people were so foolish that when Nero came to power, and, and this is going to sound similar to the next thing I'm going to tell you. When Nero came to power, after the Caesars and after everybody else, according to his rhetoric, they, they welcomed the change. Because the early part of his reign was like the mini golden age. They believed him to be generous and kind, and they that lavish games and plays and concerts and travi- uh, chariot races and tournaments and taxes were even reduced. He, he restored the Roman Senate's power, not because he wanted them to be better, but he had a ed- hidden agenda that would benefit him. He was the one of the prototypes of the Antichrist. The first half looks great. The second half is the worst thing that ever happened. Because then with the great fire, 10 of the 14 districts of his city were destroyed. Hundreds died. Thousands left homeless. Looters ravaged the city. He started to slaughter the Christians and burn them. Well, there was another paradigm shift in 1904-1905. Evan Roberts' Welsh Revival 
many of the songs we sing, the Holy Spirit, the Pentecostal movement based on that and affected the 20th century, but not too long after that, Hitler rose to power. In 1904, he was 15 years old, and that's when began the hatred of the Jews. And then finally, in his book, Mein Kampf, he began to talk about how he hated the Jews. I began to hate them. He blamed them for everything. The spirit of the Antichrist came into him. So he rises to power, corresponding to the same fire. He begins to burn Jews in the fire. My point is this is that each move of God is countered by a move of Satan, a move of kingdom of God countered by the kingdom of darkness. We can't ignore that. They can't overcome it. They can't match it, but we have to understand it's going to happen. And right now, we're seeking a final revival. We're seeking a release of upper room fire. That's what we've been praying for here on the porch, but we do not pay attention to, at least most people don't, or anticipate a reactionary response from the enemy, his own fire. Sometimes they're concurrent, sometimes they're back-to-back, sometimes they take time to manifest. But my point is this, ignorance is not an excuse. An obsession is not a spiritual answer. During times of extreme danger, the paradigm shift in activity and violence against the kingdom of God increases. It's a reactionary time. See, Newton's law of physics says this. For every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. Force begets force. Interaction is inevitable, and no one is exempt. Father, I just pray this word gets out. I pray that people pay attention to the fact that what you're doing is being countermanded, and there's a response from the enemy. We cannot ignore that. We must prepare for it. We must respond to it. We must rise up in praise. We must rise up in prayer. We must push back and kick in the gates. We can't sit down and say, oh, this is great. Let's wait for the Lord. Let's have a party. Let's have our Cadillacs and build our big buildings. No, we must go out. We must shine the light in the darkness. We must set the captives free. We must confront the enemy. We must speak the truth even if it hurts. We must speak the truth even if it endangers us. So, Lord, I call right now. I call right now. I call right now for your end-time army to arise, to answer the call, for people begin to pray and seek their place. What is it I am called to do? And, Lord, as I end this, With the sound of the shofar, let it go forth in people's spirit, not as a call to praise, not as a call to to prayer, but as a call to war. And I just thank you for that. In Jesus' name. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace, give you shalom. I'm asking you to meditate on this word, to share the word with those that you believe need to hear it. But do not ignore it. And do not think, oh, this is just Richard ranting and raving and on one of his spiritual soapboxes, folks, I'm telling you. For the Lord to shut me down, 
So you are to do nothing else except the Bible studies, and the Bible studies are to be about this, nothing else. And all you are to do is pray. That means something is imminent, and we must be ready. I know I'll be ready. I know my brother Larry will be ready. I'm hoping others will answer the call, but the question comes, will you be ready? We'll see you next time on The Porch. God bless.